all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Gauravani Bhattarani Nivasesa Sanyavani Bhaskatya Adesatarani Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Ravinatam Bitam Samsajivam Sadhvaitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Bitamscha Jai Jai Shri Chaitanya Jaya Nityananda 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 Can I get the book? Okay. So it's October 3rd, 2010 in Radha Desh. We're reading from Chaitanya Charitamrita, Majalila, Chapter 19. Lord Instruct Rupa Goswami, text 154. Krishna Charna Kalpa Riksha Kadiya Dohana Therefore, Yaya goes Tat Upadi to the top of that, the spiritual sky, Goloka Vrindavana, to the planet known as Goloka Vrindavana where Krishna lives. <laughs> <laughs> 
Krishna Charana of the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. Kalpa Vrikshe on the desire tree. Kare Aromana climbs. So, do you remember what we discussed last week? Where we were? The Bhakti Lata. And where did it get to last week? Right, so last week it went through the, the material universe, through the material... What went through? The what? What is it that's going? Viraja River. Hmm? The Viraja River. The Viraja... It goes through the Viraja River, yes? What goes through the Viraja River? The creeper. Okay, the Bhakti Lata creeper. And we were studying last week about how a creeper needs... What does a creeper need? A support. Yes, creeper needs a support. So this creeper is looking for its support. And it goes through the material world, it goes through the coverings of the material world, it goes through the Viraja River, and it comes to the spiritual sky. So, Srila Prabhupada adds a first sentence here to the translation to connect it with the previous verse. So the first sentence he has here isn't directly in the Bengali. Translation. Being situated in one's heart and being watered by Shravana Kirtana, the Bhakti creeper grows more and more. In this way, it attains the shelter of the desire tree of the lotus feet of Krishna. So Krishna's feet here are compared to desire trees. So that's another metaphor. Krishna Charna Kalpa Vrikshe. Obviously, Krishna's feet don't look like trees. So it's a metaphor. Now you have all, this is a, a metaphor within the metaphor. So it attains the shelter of the desire tree of the lotus feet of Krishna, who is eternally situated in the planet known as Goloka Vrindavana, in the topmost region of the spiritual sky. So now, now the creeper has gone to the spiritual sky, but it's gone to a specific place. Where has it gone? Goloka Vrindavan, and where has it gone in Goloka Vrindavan? Krishna's lotus feet. So just like we have an address. So you have an address. It starts out with, you know, what planet. We don't usually write that on the address, you know, planet Earth. And then country. You're in a particular country. And then in a country, sometimes you're in a district. In the district, you're in a city. In the city, you're on a street. In the street, you're in a number, and that number, you may be in an apartment. Right? So, more and more specific. So here we're getting more and more. Where is it going specifically? Going to Krishna's lotus feet. In Brahma Purport, in Brahma Samhita 537, it is said, kalati, Golok mabuto I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord. He resides in his own realm, Goloka, with Radha, 
who resembles his own spiritual figure and who embodies the ecstatic potency, Ladini. Their companions are her confidants, who embody extensions of her bodily form and who are imbued and permeated with ever-blissful spiritual rasa. So here, Srila Prabhupada's giving more of a description of this, what is this Goloka Vrindavan? You say, Goloka Vrindavan? What's Goloka Vrindavan? So he's describing. In the spiritual world, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna has expanded himself in his spiritual potency. He has his eternal form of bliss and knowledge, Satchidananda Vigraha. Everything in the Goloka Vrindavana planet is a spiritual expansion of Satchidananda. Everyone there is of the same spiritual potency, Ananda Chinmaya Rasa. The Prabhupada, in commenting on this verse, usually is discussing Radharani and the Gopis. He also discusses how the cowherd boys are expansions of Ananda Chinmaya Rasa. And here he's saying everything the water, the houses, everything. The relationship between the Supreme Personality of Godhead and his servitor is Chinmaya Rasa. So now Prabhupada's saying that everything's made of Chinmaya Rasa, and that's also the relationship. Krishna and his entourage and paraphernalia are of the same Chinmaya potency. When the Chinmaya potency goes through the material potency, it becomes all-pervading. Although the Supreme Personality of Godhead exists on his own planet, Goloka Vrindavana, he is present everywhere. So here somebody might think, well, Krishna is only there. This is a religion that says that God is only in the spiritual world or in heaven. What kind of a philosophy is that in Western terminology? Do I have any of my society students here? Are they all gone today? None of them are here. It's called the transcendent philosophy. So in Western terms, you can say God is imminent, he's everywhere, or you can say God is transcendent, he's just in heaven, he's just in his own abode. So here, Srila Prabhupada is teaching Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's philosophy of a chintabeda beda tattva. Krishna is in Goloka, but he's also everywhere. He's present everywhere. And now Prabhupada quotes another verse in the Brahma Samhita. Andantarasta paramanuchayantarastam. He is present within all universes, although they are innumerable. He is present within the atom. Ishvara sarvabhutanam rijeshar tunatistiti. He is also present within the heart of all living entities. This is his all pervasive potency. So, of course, we call this inconceivable. Achincha, this whole verse the Prabhupada's quoting a portion from, Ekopisorachaitam Jagadandakoti, Yet Chakturesi Chakturesa Jagadanda Chayayananta, Andantarasta Panamanu Chayantarastam. This verse says that all the universes are within Krishna. So we know this from some pastimes. Madhya Soda is working, and the boys come to her and they say, Madhya Soda, Madhya Soda, Madhya Soda, Krishna ate dirt, Krishna ate dirt. Right? And Madhya Soda is like, Krishna, why are you eating dirt? I'm making so many nice sweets for you. He says, Mother, they, I didn't eat dirt. My brother's mad at me. He wants to get, he's just trying to get me in trouble. And she says, Well, let's see. Open your mouth. Let me see if there's any dirt in your mouth. So she finds dirt in his mouth, all right? She finds, finds the whole earth planet, not just a little bit of earth. And she finds the whole, all the universes. She looks and she sees the earth, the moon, the sun. 
time, everything. In fact, she even sees herself, which Lord Brahma comments later, chapter 14. He says, how can, how can you see yourself? She's not seeing a, a mirror or a vision. of. She's actually seeing that she's there. How can you see, how can you see yourself? <laughs> so the whole universe is with inside Krishna, or Krishna also showed this in the Virat Rupa, how all the universe, all space was in one place and all time was in one time. Okay, well, I guess we have that. We can kind of conceive of that. But then Lord Brahma is saying, well, wait a minute. How is it the universes are inside of you and yet I'm standing outside of you talking to you? Like how's Mother Yasoda seeing herself and talking to you outside? How is that possible? I mean, if I'm inside your belly, how can I be standing here talking to you? So Lord Brahma says, I don't understand this. Oh, but that's not all. Andantarasta paramanu. Andantarasta paramanu. Anu means very small. Paramanu, the smallest, 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 smallest. Andantarasta. Anda means in. Sta, staying. He's staying inside the smallest. So many religions have an idea of God as the greatest. But we also say God is the smallest. <laughs> Both. So in every atom, there's God. And in every heart, there's God. But every atom, there's God. And then within God, there's the universes. Can you picture that? You got that? No. Therefore, achintya. So Krishna is everywhere. Uh, therefore, as Sadaputavu very nicely explains in his books on science, when he's talking about dimensions of space, that Krishna's experience of space and time must be vastly different from ours. Someone who's inside every atom and who has the universe within him must not experience space the way we experience space. And trying to understand Krishna's pastimes, what to speak of the spiritual world, in terms of space and time, which are, after all, material creations. The first element of creation is time. We talked about this before here, I believe. And the first gross element is space. So trying to understand Krishna's pastimes or all our fall down from the spiritual world in terms of space and time is not possible. So here Prabhupada's establishing this achincha beta beta tattva philosophy. And this is very important philosophy because without it, bhakti is not possible. You can't do bhakti unless there's an object of bhakti. If God is just everywhere and everything, where's your object? To whom will you offer your bhakti? And you can't do bhakti unless you, the things that you are offering are offerable. So if God is totally separate, if the world is evil, how can you offer the things of the world? And therefore, those who accept a fully transcendent philosophy, they don't deal with the world. They go on a hilltop in a monastery. Their only door is in the floor, and they lower a bucket up and down sometimes to get things. Right? They don't have any dealings with the world. And the prevalence of such transcendent philosophies in the modern world, according to the scholar Peter Berger, is indirectly one of the causes for the fact that we have a secular culture. Secular culture means you don't see God anywhere. You, you don't see God in the world, and you don't see God in your own life. When things happen to you, you explain them due to science or evolution or psychology. You don't give spiritual explanations for your own life or for the world. And he's saying that this concept 
comes directly from religions that say God has nothing to do with the world. And then people revolt by having this pantheistic idea that God is everywhere. But then again, you can have no bhakti. Then everybody's God, everything's God. And if everything's God, again, people become sense enjoyers. Well, I'm God, let me just enjoy my senses. It's the same as God enjoying. So only with this philosophy of a chincha beta beta tattva is real bhakti possible, at least in this world. You couldn't couldn't do it otherwise. How could I even perform bhakti if I'm separate from God? God's all the way there. He becomes irrelevant. And so first first Srila Prabhupada has established this idea that this this Goloka Vrindavan is spiritual. And then he establishes a chincha beta beta tattva. Now Srila Prabhupada, in the last paragraph of this purport, is going to go into more details of what it means to take shelter, what this Krishna Charana Kalpa Vriksha means. <coughs> Continuing with the purport. Goloka Vrindavana is the highest planet in the spiritual world. In order to go to the spiritual world, after penetrating the cover of the material universe, one must penetrate Brahmaloka, the spiritual effulgence. So we can understand this in our progression, that one must first attain Brahmabhuta. One must first realize who I am then I'm spiritual. There's no question of a relationship with Krishna unless I've realized that I'm spiritual. That's some bandha. I have to, I have to know who I am. Then one, then one can come to the Goloka Vrindavana planet. Or another explanation is first one must be liberated from Upadi, Sarvapadi, Vinirmukta, Taparatena, Vinirmula. Then Rishikesha, Rishikena, Sevanam, Bhakti, Ruchite. There are also other planets in the spiritual world called Vaikuntha planets. And on these planets, Lord Narayana is worshipped with awe and veneration. On these planets, Shantarasa is prevalent. And some of the devotees are also connected with the Supreme Personality of Godhead in the Dastirasa, the mellow of servitorship. As far as the mellow of fraternity, or friendship, is concerned, the Vaikuntha Rasa is represented by Gauravasakya, friendship in awe and veneration. The other fraternity rasa is exhibited as visrambra, friendship and equality, and this is found in the Goloka Vrindavana planet. Above that is service to the Lord in Vatsalya rasa, paternal love. Does anyone know what Vatsalya literally means? What's a vats? A calf. So in English, we often call our children what? What do we often call our children in English? What animal child do we call our children? Kids. Say, I'm, I'm going to bring the kids. Kids means a baby what? Goat. Kids means a baby goat. So in Sanskrit, they don't call children baby goats, they call them baby cows. So instead of saying, I'm bringing the kids to the store, you'd say, I'm bringing the calves to the store. So the, the parental, she had to go from that. The parental ras is called Vatsalya ras. And above all is the relationship with the Lord in Madhurya ras, conjugal love. What's the literal meaning of Madhurya? Sweet. The sweetest ras. Of course, all rasas with Krishna are sweet. Madhurari, Patera, Kilam, Madhuram. Everything about Krishna is sweet, but especially the Madhurya rasa means the conjugal ras. Another name for the conjugal ras is Sringa ras. These five rasas are fully exhibited in the spiritual world in one's relationship with the Lord. Therefore, in the spiritual world, the bhakti lata creeper finds its resting place at the lotus feet of Krishna.
Therefore, because these five rasas are fully exhibited, therefore Krishna is the complete shelter. Tabeya yayat tad upari goloka vrindavana krishna charna kalpa kari adohana. Being situated in one's heart, being watered by Shravana Kirtana, the bhakti creeper grows more and more. In this way, it attains the shelter of the desire tree of the lotus feet of Krishna, who is eternally situated in the planet known as Goloka Vrindavana, in the topmost region of the spiritual sky. So, in another metaphor in Bhagavatam, Narayana says, Danur Hitasya Panava Patanti, Sharam Hujivam Parame Valaksham. Danur means a bow. Janur hitasya, pranava. Pranava means? What's the pranava? Om. Patanti, it's written. It's written that the mantra, it's like a bow. Sharam gujivan. Sharam is the arrow. The arrow is us, the jiva. Param eva laksha. Param means the supreme, is the target. So there, instead of the creeper, getting shelter analogy, it's an arrow hitting a target analogy. But that's in a very general tone. Param. Para is the laksha. The supreme, the other, is the laksha. And in most religious systems, you have just this general idea. The goal is God. Attain the goal. The goal is God. So we have no quarrel with other genuine religious systems. Just hearing this morning, Prabhupada was saying, if you don't like the name of Krishna, you think it's a sectarian name, you can chant your own name of God. But one difficulty is, how do you attain the target or the shelter unless you know what that target is, unless you have detailed information? So there may be some general information. God is great, or God is the Father, Ahambija Pradapita. God is the Creator, or God is the Judge, but then you can only attain God up to that point. Like Prabhupada's saying in Vaikunti here, there's just Shantaras mostly. Just, oh, there's Lord Vishnu. There he is. Jai Vishnu. Just awe. Now that's nice. It's nice to have some just feeling of veneration and respect. But higher than that is to do something. Like you think of the young teenage boy, he sees the girl of his dreams and he's just there. And his friend says, hey, why don't you go talk to her? <gasps> Scared. And so that's kind of shantaras. You don't actually do anything. You're just, you're just sort of, oh, it's God. Right? Then dasaras, you're doing something. So in the Vaikuntic planets, Krishna also has many servants. So Vishnu has many servants. But again, they're serving in, in great reverence, with great respect. And some even, Prabhupada says here, have a feeling of friendship, but very reverential friendship, not intimate friendship. They never forget that Krishna is God. But in order to find the real kalpa riksha, the real desire tree, where all of our desires, because that doesn't fulfill all of our desires, we have desires for more intimate relationships than just awe. Right, that's not enough. You know, people had awe for Princess Diana, right? When she died, they all just lined up looking at their casket with a dead body. 
And when she was alive, they'd wait in line for 20 hours to just see her for one moment. But that's not enough. It's not that that's all people did their whole life. We want deeper relationships. And all of us are hankering for very intimate relationships where we can fully express ourselves. When you have this feeling of awe and reverence, it's very difficult to fully express yourself. And there's all these barriers. We are looking for an intimacy where we can be fully authentic. So this, Krishna also likes this. And it's interesting because he's self-satisfied, Atmarama, as Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati says in his purport to uh, the verse here, Nanda Chinmaya Rasa. He says that Krishna has self-delightedness. He doesn't need anything to delight him. He delights in himself. And yet he desires relationships where he can be fully authentic, where people are not just going, all glories, all glories. I mean, even for us, that gets tiring, doesn't it? If people say, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're so... I mean, it's nice for you know, maybe a minute or two. You're like, oh yes, everyone is appreciating how wonderful I am. And after five or ten minutes, it becomes, okay, just cool it. It's not interesting anymore. Because it's, it's not very authentic. Right? You wonder, it, it, you're just barely connected with somebody. Slight connection. So Krishna wants this connection with the jivas. That's why we exist. Prabhupada would be asked, why do the jivas exist? He said, why does the person have children? Of course, today people don't want to have children. They're so selfish. This is the anti-children society. Uh, we were studying in our sociology class what are the ten factors that allow, historically, research-wise, that allow religions to become successful from a sociological point of view. In other words, they have a lot of members and they, can, they have more than 100,000 members and they continue for more than a century. They become significant religions in the world. Of course, that's not how we define success, maybe. But sometimes I think we define success like that. We talk about how many temples, how many devotees how long something's gone on. And, of course, one of the factors in a successful religion is that there are lots of children. Because any religion that the members don't produce lots of children doesn't last. You know, you'd think that was kind of a duh, but I don't know, somehow we haven't gotten this one in this kind. Anyway, so why do uh, other religions get this? There are uh, many religious systems now that are practically taking over the world just through their birth rate. You know this? Pretty soon they're going to take over Europe. And then we'll be crying, you know. How come we never had any children? We, we've adopted the outside society's standards. Get married late, have your children late, and don't have too many of them. And we've done it in the name of Krishna consciousness. We've said, all your children, they are an interference with your service instead of seeing them as one of your services. <laughs> all right, Krishna. Anyway, so why, Prabhupada says, why does a person have children? Prabhupada would give these examples because he was coming from a natural society. You know, we hear these examples and we're thinking, yeah, why would anybody want to have children anyway? <laughs> but Prabhupada was coming from a society where people normally had, you know, five to 15 children. So he said, why does any man want to have children? Increases his enjoyment, increases his pleasure. So Krishna also wants to reciprocate with his living entities. <clears throat> he wants this connection, even though he's self-satisfied. 
He doesn't want it out of some lack. And he wants this connection in all different flavors. So as the Kalpa Krishna's lotus feet, are giving all flavors of relationship. So here it's being analyzed in five, but you see not even exactly five, because Prabhupada's dividing the friendship rasa into two, friendship with on reverence and friendship in more intimacy. And Rupa Goswami divides it further. Those were intimate friends. Some of them are a little older than Krishna. Some are the same age. Some are a little younger. And then it can be divided further and divided further and divided further till it becomes each one of us. We're each in our own category. Just exactly like, you know, I was saying you have the planet, the country, the district, the house, and pretty soon you have the apartment and then you have your own room. And so each of us has our own particular relationship with Krishna that's unique to us. Nobody else has it. Of course, if we're imagining that we're separate from Krishna and we're not acting in that relationship, it's not that Krishna's deprived. Like when Lord Brahma stole all the cowherd boys, Krishna can manifest other cowherd boys that are himself. He doesn't need each cowherd boy in order to give him that particular relationship. But Krishna much prefers relating with the cowherd boys than with just the expansions of himself. In fact, it's explained by the Acharyas that the reason Lord Balaram didn't know that Krishna had expanded until four or five days before the end of the year is that Krishna didn't want Balaram to feel any separation from his friends. He would say, what about Krishna feeling separation from his friends? And then the Acharyas explained that really, Lord Brahma couldn't steal the cowherd boys, just like Ravana couldn't steal Sita. Rav, uh, Brahma stole reflections of the cowherd boys, the original cowherd boys were still at the bank of the Jamuna with Krishna for a whole year. So Krishna didn't feel any separation from his friends. So my point is that although Krishna can taste the specific flavor of our relationship with him without our willing cooperation, he can manifest that from himself, he'd much rather experience that from our willing cooperation. And that is everything we desire. You know, everybody would want a Kalpa Riksha tree in their backyard or if you don't have a yard growing in a little pot in your room. You know, we all wish we could go back to our room and there's our own little copper riksha tree. Let's see, I'd like this. And I'd like some of this. Of course, in the material world, copper riksha trees would be very dangerous because we have all sorts of very peculiar desires that as soon as we desire them, two seconds later, we go, no, no, I don't actually want that. <laughs> right? There's all these fairy tales about people who go to worlds where all of their desires get fulfilled. You probably read those when you were a child. Or you know, the fairy comes and says, you can have three wishes, and they usually wish for foolish things. Do you remember reading those when you were a child? And usually the third wish, they have to undo their first two wishes. <laughs> or Midas, he wishes everything is gold, and then his daughter turns to gold, and his food turns to gold. So, you know, in this world, we don't have Kalpavriksha trees growing because we're all so foolish that... <laughs> We get ourselves into a whole lot of trouble. So the way that Krishna, Eko Bhaganam Yovadadatikama, the way he fulfills our desires in this world is you have to work really, 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 really hard for them and you have a mat to amass the karma and then you finally get them and then you, then you can get a chance to lament about your foolish desires after you get them. But it's not so automatic and easy. You have to go through some uh, trouble, some austerity. You have to amass the, the karma coins but the real fulfillment of all of our desires is there at Krishna's lotus feet. 
Because when you have a relationship with Krishna, that's everything. And that's everything. Everything you want is included in that. If we think of everything that we want, we want peace and, and serenity. We want to be free from fear and anxiety, harmony. Well, that's there, Krishna's lotus feet. Abhaya Charanada Vrindavan, right? That's there. Yes, we were reading yesterday. Right? Peace. It was interesting. Prabhupada translated Shema as peace. So we also want excitement. Well, Krishna is really exciting. And you get to go into a gasara's mouth and Krishna comes and saves you. That's pretty exciting. Or Krishna takes Radharani on a swing and she says, no, don't swing high, Krishna. He says, no, no, I won't swing high. <laughs> and then he swings so high that she thinks she's going to fall off. That's exciting. So Krishna's exciting. He's not boring. Mother Yasoda's worried Krishna's in the coils of Kali. Oh, my son's going to die. It's not just, you know, a boring life. So we want excitement. We want variety. So Prabhupada's explaining all the varieties is there in all these different rasas, all these different flavors. And there's also the seven secondary rasas, even ghastliness and fear and humor. Right? What else do we want? We want to be our authentic self. We want to really express ourself. Well, our real authentic self is in our relationship with Krishna. We get so tired in this world of all the pretenses, isn't it? But you know, we have this even what we think is our real self here is also a pretense. So we come to the actual authentic self. And then we want to do things that are meaningful in this world. How do you do anything that's meaningful? If you really examine everything in this world, how do you do anything meaningful here? Pretty hard. But that's real meaning, is our relationship with Krishna. We want security. Real security is knowing I'm a soul. So everything we want, all of, the, all of our desires, they're found at Krishna's lotus feet. Without endeavor. You know, in this world we have to work so hard for our desires. Without endeavor. So how do we establish these relationships? And so this is very nicely explained in Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati's purport to this Brahma Samhita verse that Srila Prabhupada's quoting. And there Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati mm-hmm. talks about a little bit of this science of rasa. So beyond just the general religionists who say God is great, we can say, okay, here's, here's Krishna, he's like this, he plays his flute. Of course he can play any instrument. It's not that he's restricted to the flute playing section of the orchestra. But he, he, like, he particularly likes his flute. Okay, he likes to travel on Govardhan Hill. He likes to decorate himself with flowers. He really likes flowers and forest minerals. He likes them even more than jewels. We can explain something what Krishna's like. But even beyond that, we can explain the science of relationship with Krishna. Not only the details of who is God, the details of where he lives, what's God's address, what's God's email, what's his mobile number. But we can also explain the science of our relationship with him. So who can explain this? I mean, we offer all respect to all the genuine religions of the world, but as Prabhupada would say, a poor fund of knowledge. They can say, love God. Well, love God how? Love God. What's the science of loving God? So then they just say, well, service to man is service to God. They, they give up. They don't know how to love God. Also, it's hard to love someone you don't know. Well, they don't know where he lives, maybe in the clouds. 
Even sometimes the Indian movies, they show like that. You know, God's just floating in the clouds. My dear friends, the clouds are not a very interesting place. If you've ever been up in an airplane, you know, you really wouldn't want to live in the clouds. I mean, even Belgium is more interesting than the clouds. So they have an idea, you know, he lives in the clouds, and he's just some, you've seen these Christian tracks where he's this faceless guy. You ever seen those Christian tracks? He's on this big throne, and he has no face. He looks sort of like he's wearing a business suit. Why would God want to wear a business suit? They're really uncomfortable with a tie, you know. So he's there in his business suit on this big throne and no face. Would you like to have no face? How awful. You know, now they have face transplants because if some dog rips off a person's face, they want a face again. Who wants to walk around without a face, you know? So God has no face. And then there's this little tiny ant people at the bottom and God's just saying, heaven, hell, heaven, hell. That's all he does all day. (laughs) Who would want to do that? So they have those ideas of God, and when it talks to loving God, I'm not quite sure how you love that kind of God, but they don't know how to do it. They have some idea that you should pray, some idea. You should pray, maybe you light a little candle on the altar. You know, but it's, it's a very undeveloped science. So instead, they end up loving their dog, or they love their family, or they love their community, or their nation, or something like that which, of course, is imperfect love. So here we're learning the science of love. So it's interesting that Srila Prabhupada often will just say, like, Vatsalyaras, as he's saying here, or Shantaras. But really, that's kind of a short, shortened term. Because rasa doesn't just mean Vatsalya or Shanta. That describes one of five aspects of rasa. So the way I remember this, so those of you who are my students, especially in my society class, know that I, I teach all kinds of memory aids. So to remember this, I remember suavas without the A between the V and the S. So those are the five, S-V-A-V-S. Those are the, oh, there's one of them. There she is right there, hiding behind the door. It's like Lord Balaram hides behind the door when Mother Yasoda comes to find who stole the yogurt. You know that picture? Balaram's kind of hiding behind the door. So the, the first is this saibhav. Saibhav means my general feeling towards Krishna. And that's what Srila Prabhupada is referring to in this purport, in today's purport. I feel like Krishna is my son, or I feel like Krishna is my friend, I feel like Krishna is my husband or my beloved. So a, a general feeling. Because before I can have exchange love with you, I've got to kind of know who we are. Right? I've got, it's, first thing I've got to figure out, who are you? Like I had a, a very unsettling experience in one shop in Dublin where I couldn't figure out if the person helping me was male or female. I never did figure it out. I just couldn't figure it out. I didn't want to ask him, her, excuse me, what gender are you? I just couldn't figure it out. And because I couldn't, and I was wondering why I was unsettled by this. You know, why was it disturbing me? that I couldn't figure it out. Why did it matter? And I realized that without knowing it, I couldn't figure out how to relate to the person. I have one way of relating to females and another way of relating to males. I I, I relate differently. And I I, I didn't know how to behave. I I couldn't figure out the proper actions. And, And then within, you know, you understand, well, who is this person? 
Like, I'm going to relate to a man. Is it just some man in the train who's gathering the tickets? Is it my son? <clears throat> you know, then it again gives me some parameters for relationships. So first is the stibub. You have to know, Krishna is, is what? You know, we say this general, I'm Krishna's, Krishna is mine. But how? How specifically? So first that has to awaken before there can be any feeling of rasa. And that cannot be, my dear friends, imagined. It's not that on the material platform, in material consciousness, you can say, well, I think I'd like Krishna. It's, it's already there. It has to awaken. And then there are things that awaken it. What awakens it? So that's the next level, the vibhav. The vibhav is, first of all, Krishna himself. So this is divided into two categories, alambana and udipan. Alambana is, first of all, Krishna himself. When you see Krishna, when you hear about Krishna, just like Rukmini, she heard about Krishna. And by hearing about Krishna, her natural staibhav, that I'm Krishna's wife, it awakened. So some contact with Krishna. And not the other alambana. It's alambana Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati describes as the prop, which I thought was very interesting because it relates to this idea of the shelter for the lata. You know, the, the creeper has to be on, this, on a prop. Something has to hold it. So Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati describes this alambana as a, as a prop. So that's Krishna himself as the, as the uh, ashraya, and it's also the devotees, the vishaya. Because how can you take shelter of Krishna unless you have people to tell you how to take shelter of Krishna? One very nice verse in Bhagavad Gita where Krishna says, those who know how to surrender under the supreme person attained through that supreme eternal atmosphere. How do you surrender? Krishna just says, right, ma may come sharanambraja, surrender to me. Well, how do you do that? And Bhaktivinoda says, well, this, here's the six symptoms of surrender. Well, how do you do that? And then he has his songs explaining, this is how you do it. And they're demonstrating how to do it. And they're giving instructions, do like this, do like this, do like this. And then the, the devotees are introducing us to Krishna also. And say, Krishna, here's somebody who's surrendered. Otherwise, how, why would Krishna accept us, rascals? <laughs> and then the other is the Udipan. Krishna, but Krishna means how Krishna is playing his flute, how he's wearing his peacock feather, how his garland is sort of off to the side on his arm, and right, now he has this little bird sitting on his flute. Yeah, in one of our little children's books, we have Krishna singing with the birds of Vrindavan. And the little picture of Krishna, when you touch it, it says, it's so nice to sing along with the birds. I was thinking, wouldn't that be nice? You know, we have our kirtans, and we have different musical instruments, and could you imagine if the birds joined in? We had all this singing bird, it would be really nice. So that's an udipan. I think of how Krishna is singing with the birds, and then that stimulates our feeling of affection and attraction for Krishna. And if you can't do that as your udipan, then you can think of how Krishna is the light of the sun, how Krishna is the light of the moon, how Krishna is the taste in water, how Krishna is my ability and intelligence and your ability and intelligence, how Krishna is the force of gravitation. How among, and if you can't even do that, then how Krishna among all the birds is a shark, among all the mountains, he's the Himalayas, among immovable things, the Himalayas, among mountains, he's Meru. Something to stimulate one's feeling of, yes, I want a relationship with Krishna. Something. 
whatever may do that. You know, maybe how Krishna created rivers of blood in fighting with Jarasandha. It depends what you're attracted to. You know, maybe maybe what really incites your love for Krishna is the rivers of blood and the battle with Jarasandha. Maybe what you know, if you were the kind of person who used to go to the horror movies. Maybe what really incites your love is Krishna singing with the birds. Or maybe it's just how Krishna's working in my life. How Krishna's reciprocating with me. Maybe it's just even at that level. But something that stimulates that love, that's the whole purpose. (laughs) That is bhakti yoga. So we have to see everything around us. Sometimes I teach the psychological science of triggers. I don't know if any of you have ever heard my, you've heard my classes on on triggers. So maybe our mother made a really awesome apple pie when we were a kid with cinnamon, you know. And as soon as we smell that cinnamon and apple, we feel, oh, mommy. You feel it, not just you remember your mommy. You actually feel what it was like to be home when mommy's baking. Of course, I don't know, do mommies bake anymore in modern society? But when mommy's baking and there's raining outside and it was nice and warm and cozy in the house. You, you re-feel those emotions, right? Or maybe if you were eating carrot halva and somebody came and yelled at you, so every time you eat carrot halva, you, 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 know, you have this negative reaction. Those are called, we have these triggers in our life, both positive and negative. So those are a kind of udipan. They're, they're stimulating an emotion. Not just a memory, but an emotion, right? Do we all have these? Some song, some smell, some taste, some place that triggers an emotion. So everything should become an udipan for Krishna. Whatever we're experiencing should stimulate not just thought of Krishna, maya shakta mana parta, not just manmana, not just thinking of Krishna, but thinking of with some ashakti, with some attachment. Whatever we see, whatever we hear, whatever we taste, whatever we touch, whatever we experience, should act like that udipan to develop our attachment for Krishna. So then when you have this, when everything is stimulating, and especially what you speak of, Krishna, how Lord Jagannath is becoming stunned when he thinks about Vrindavana, how Subhadra, who never lived in Vrindavana, just by hearing about Vrindavana, even Yogamaya, even Yogamaya, on whose basis Vrindavana exists, when she hears about Vrindavana, she becomes stunned. How Gorni Tyre dancing in the Kirtan, or the wonderful philosophy of Bhagavad Gita. When this, stimu- when this starts to stimulate our attachment to Krishna to the point, to the point that we start feeling, actually feeling, not imagining, Krish- oh, Krishna is my beloved. Krishna is my friend. Krishna is my son. Krishna is my master. Then you act on that platform. At least with the neophytes, we can understand Krishna is my master. At least that we should have. He's my boss. He's my company president. I'm his employee. He pays us all a salary, you know. You know that, right? You all know Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asks for a salary? Have I told you that here before? No? We have this controversy in this country. Should we ask for salaries? So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asks for a salary. Anybody know that first? You know that first? No? Betan means a salary. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, I want a job, I'm applying for a job. Dasakori, I want to be your 
servant, Beitan Muri, I want the salary. Deha, give me. Prema Dan. Dan means wealth. So I want the love salary. Or Bhakti Santasirashwari translates that. And with ecstasy is my pay. So Krishna is paying us. He's our company boss. We have our job as servants. He's paying us with ecstasy. He's paying us with love. That's our salary. So at least we can think that. And we have our product. We're also manufacturing a product here of Prem Bhakti, which we're trying to sell to as many people as possible. Right? And we try, we're selling it. When Krishna's running the company in the mood of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he really discounts the price. <laughs> Special Kali Yuga sale. Right? Even then people don't want to buy it. <laughs> so we're, we're trying to, we're, we're making all these plans to sell our company product. So that's our anubhav. Anubhav means our actions. That's the next component of rasa. You do something. If someone's your son, you feed them. Right? Especially Indian parents. And if you're an Indian parent, you actually put the food in their mouth. <laughs> you know, just cook for them. Right? Indian parents are like that. So if, they're your, if someone's your son, you feed them. Right? Someone's your friend, you do things with them. You do fun things with them. Have sporting activities, you joke around. So at least Krishna is my master, I'm his servant. Anubhav, I do something. I voluntarily do something out of my enthusiasm. Prabhupada said, be careful not to kill the spirit of spontaneous service, which is individual, of enthusiastic service, which is individual, spontaneous, and voluntary. So we should be doing some individual, spontaneous, voluntary service for Krishna. All of our service should be individual, spontaneous, and voluntary. If ever we start thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm doing this because I have to do it. I hate it. I don't want to do it. I'd rather be doing something else. That's in the mode of passion, really not a good idea. So we have some anubhava, and at the higher levels of bhakti, the anubhava are in relationship to our realized saibhava. And then there's the vabhichari bhav. Vabhichari bhav are the occasional emotions. So we have a general emotion. You have a general emotion for your child of affection and care and protection. <coughs> but sometimes you may get angry at your child. Right? You have a general mood towards your beloved also of affection. But sometimes you get angry at your beloved. And sometimes that anger is a manifestation of love. When my son, when my youngest son, before he learned how to swim, when he went with a friend of his without permission in a little boat into the river across the street that led to a waterfall, I got angry. I got really angry. Because I loved him. I didn't want him to get hurt. So the Vyavichari Bobs, the devotees, sometimes when Krishna's in Kaliya's coils, they feel fear. That's not their general emotion. And then Sattvikabhav. Sattvikabhav are the unplanned expressions of affection. Right? We categorize as eight, pallor, trembling, tears falling from the eyes. You don't plan that. Just like at our inauguration, we had when Bianca came up, we had a little example of Hasiras. It was like a comedy team. <laughs> and I, I was laughing so hard I started crying. So I didn't plan on crying. I didn't say, okay, now I'm going to cry. It just happened. 
So when you're expressing your love for Krishna, naturally some symptoms happen. You, you may smile, you may laugh, you may cry, right? you may decide to. Right? So those are the different five components of rasa. So how to understand these things? In this purport of the verse in Nandachinmaya Rasa, when Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati is explaining the nature of Goloka Vrindavana, and he goes to great pains to describe especially the Parakya Sringada Ras in his purport. And then he makes the point, we cannot really understand these things just by intellectual endeavor. I mean, look, any of us can memorize something like we were hearing yesterday. You know, any, anybody could sit down and memorize these things. I've taught you this little Swavas memory trick. And you can sit down and memorize these are the five components of rasa and it's like this and you can make little charts and PowerPoints. And we're not against that. But that's not really how you're going to understand it. And I really like this quote Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati had in his purport. Of course, his English is always interesting. It is therefore one's bounden duty. I always appreciate Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's, you know, 100-year-old British <laughs> academic English. It is therefore one's bounden duty by refraining from the endeavor to know, to try to gain the experience of the transcendental by the practice of pure devotion. So the way that we are going to understand where Krishna lives, who Krishna is, what is my relationship to Krishna, is not by an endeavor to know. He compares that to beating husks. Now, again, these analogies don't make much sense to us. Most of us never beat grain, what to speak of beating husks. Anybody here ever beaten grain? So we don't have that experience. But when you, when you harvest grain, there's the outside, the husks you don't eat, and you winnow it. The husks are very light. So first you, you kind of throw the grains in the air, and the husks blow away, and the real grain goes to the ground, and then you grind it. So you have to grind the grain. If you grind the husks, that's useless. The grain's already out of there. It's gone. The empty shell. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, I read story, the story of this one lady. Her husband and sister died, and she, this is a true story, she dug up the bodies from the graveyard and kept them in her house and talked to them. So it's useless. The soul's already gone. You know, they discovered this, like, five years later. Useless. You have a conversation with just the body without the soul. So that's like the endeavor to know Krishna with our own intelligence. It's useless. Bhaktisanta says, refrain from the endeavor to know. So then you say, well, how will I understand? We're told we have to know God. How will I understand? How will I enter into this desire tree of Krishna's lotus feet? How will my, how will my little creeper of devotion that I'm wandering how will I come to Krishna's lotus feet if I don't try to know anything? But that's not how to do it. He's saying, try to gain the experience of the transcendental by the practice of pure devotion. Rajavidya, Rajaguyam, Pavitram, Nidamutamam, Pratyaksha, Vagamam, Dharmam. You know, we often put down Pratyaksha Prachaksha, Anuman, Shabda. What's this Prachaksha? But Krishna says, Prachaksha, Bhagavan Dharma. You have to experience it. You have to experience it, not with the, in the material way. Not like I experience this table, but I have to experience transcendence. The only way to know transcendence is to experience it. And that's our whole process, is to experience it. 
We want to dive deep into the experience of bhakti. So this is what we should be asking ourselves. Am I diving deep into the experience of bhakti? When I'm chanting japa, when I'm chanting in the kirtan, when I'm hearing the bhagavatam, and when I'm going through my life, am I diving into the experience of bhakti? Am I looking? Am I, am I endeavoring for it to see how Krishna is everywhere? Am I endeavoring to have everything stimulate my attachment for Krishna? At first, in a general way, just I'm Krishna's employee. To gradually it will awaken that specific way, and then all of our desires will be fulfilled. So I know I went to ninth, but you know it was a Sunday kirtan. It was a lovely kirtan. You eased my separation from Sri Prahlad with your kirtan this morning. But uh, kirtan went late, so I hope you'll forgive me for going late. And of course, also all the guards are gone. The cats play when the mice are, when the, the mice play when the cats are away. All of our, all of our, don't tell them, okay? <laughs> I've already given a tentative class schedule. If you tell them, they'll cross me off the, this recorded. Yeah, but they probably they'll be too busy to listen to the recording. So we could take maybe two minutes for questions, comments, chastisements, corrections. <laughs> Yes. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> so how can you find Krishna there? So Prabhupada said that the uh, alcoholic, he can find Krishna in the taste of his liquor. Now what will happen if you do that? Because rasoham apsukanteya, whatever taste there is, that's Krishna. Whatever pleasure one's getting, Krishna even says he's deaf, even if you're getting pleasure from killing people, that, that taste would you speak of Disneyland or nightclubs? That taste is actually Krishna. So if you figure out this thing I'm enjoying in Disneyland or a nightclub or even in something horrible, that taste is actually Krishna. Then why not go back to the source? Because all your, the way you're getting this taste of Krishna and ignorance is first of all, you're only getting a tiny, tiny, tiny drop. And then because you're trying to enjoy it separately from Krishna, it's not, it doesn't really give you what you want. 
So it's Krishna, but you're, you're getting Krishna in such a way that it's not helping. It's something like if you have, like this water. So if I want to just pour the water in my ear, I'm really thirsty. You know, it's not going to help me. It's still water. It's not that it's not water. So why does Krishna let people pour water in their ears? Is really what you're asking. It's all Krishna. But passion ignorance means I'm trying to get Krishna separate from Krishna. I have this illusion that I'm going to enjoy Krishna separate from Krishna. I'm going to connect in the wrong way. I'm still trying to connect with Krishna. I'm trying to connect in the wrong way. It's like instead of putting the plug properly in the outlet, I just try to do what they do sometimes in India where you just like stick the wires in without a plug. Sometimes people die doing that. So why does Krishna allow that? If he didn't allow it, there'd be no meaning to, to relationship, to love. If I say to you, you have to love me, and you have to love me in the way that I say, then this, what's the meaning to it? I mean, you, you have a peculiarity of, of women, for example, that women often, when they're dealing with their husbands, or some man in their life that they love, they often don't like to tell him what they want. They want him to guess. And, and many times women think that if they tell the man what they want, then it doesn't, it's not worth anything anymore. But you see that this sort of concept that if I'm forcing you to do something, it's not worth anything anymore. Of course, even if you tell the man, if he does it voluntarily, it's still worth something, ladies. But th this idea that, you know, if I force you, if, if I put a gun to your head and I say, please say you love me, what is the, what's the value of that? There's no value. I mean, Ravana did that. He went to Sita and he said, Sita, if you don't love me, I'll cut you up and eat you for breakfast. First of all, why would you love somebody who did that? I mean, could you really feel love for somebody who was threatening to eat you for breakfast? How much love could you feel for God if he was forcing you? Could you love somebody like that? I mean, Prabhupada says this is the difference between rape and love. How, how can you love somebody who's forcing you? It doesn't make sense. Anytime we feel even a little bit forced, we pull back on love. Whenever we feel somebody's trying to manipulate, right? If you feel someone's trying to manipulate me, even if they're trying to do it subtly, we, we really we pull back. We don't like it. Is that what you want God to be? Do you want God to be a, a manipulator and, and a forcer? And you want him to come with blazing guns and, and, and tie you up and gag you? And, and if he's not going to do that, if he's a God of freedom, that means you have the freedom to do something foolish. That's what freedom means. There's no meaning to freedom if you can't do something foolish. That doesn't mean anything. So therefore he allows. Really, you can't enjoy anything that's not Krishna. It's not possible. Everything we're connecting with, everything within we're enjoying, it's all Krishna. There's, there's no possibility whatsoever of, of having any relationship with anything that's not Krishna. But if we're seeing it in a way that's separate from Krishna, that's ignorance. So why does Krishna let us do that? Because he loves us. Is that okay? Yes, thank you. So thank you very much. I'll go to Shilpa.